Stephen, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Fairfield House. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honour and a pleasure to be here. This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. <laughs> Residents who had been here had, say, been a Scandinavian mm. king in exile. Would our view of it be different? And yeah. I just, I'm uncomfortable with that question because I have a feeling it probably would. As I said, I think the full um, significance of his presence in Bath and actually his life as a global figure uh, is probably not yet fully understood and realised. voice recording from the conservatory at Fairfield House Bath. This is In Our City and I'm Tosi Onileri. I'm William Heath and what a joy it actually is to be face to face for the first time in... <laughs> I'm a little scary because you just don't know. It is, yeah, kind of like, yeah, joyful but mm, okay. If you're hearing this it's because we set it up okay. So I'm William Heath. Now, Bath, it's a World Heritage Site no one has done more than our guest today to keep it that way. Our guest is Stephen Bird. You've got an MBE and you're Head of Heritage Services at Bath and North East Somerset Council. Stephen, welcome to Fairfield House. Welcome to Imperial Voice. Well, thank you, both of you. It is an honour and a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. I, I'm, I know the house a bit. I've walked through the grounds on my COVID walks in particular in the last 18 months. But I, I mentioned to you before we came on air that uh, my son used to deliver newspapers here in the 1990s. That's a proper bond, I think, isn't it? It is. And do you remember who was using the premises then? I don't, because I never came with him. He, he always went out before I was up. Um, oh, good kid. <laughs> that's elderly care. That's elderly. What's he doing now? Uh, he's a trombonist. Good. Oh, yes. Good. Oh, okay. Oh. In the classical tradition? Uh, jazz and swing. Fantastic. Wow. So, Stephen, first up, could you explain to us, because, because people don't always understand this, why is Bath? a World Heritage Site, and, and what makes it unique? Uh, Bath was inscribed on the World Heritage List by UNESCO in 1987, and they identified six uh, characteristics, or what they call strands of outstanding universal value, um, which um, are to be the protected and to be the concern of everybody. Now, World Heritage comes in two forms. There are either natural World Heritage Sites, like Mount Kilimanjaro and uh, um, the, uh, the various places like that, but there are also cultural heritage sites, and Bath is a cultural one. The qualities they identified in it were its hot springs, it has the only hot springs in Britain. That's the natural one, surely. The natural yeah. hot springs, I'm just, absolutely. Just to say I'm paying attention. You know? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so that's the one natural element. Well, I suppose there are two natural elements. Uh, a second one is the natural um, river valley setting, Okay. Um, the, the sort of natural environment which means that wherever you are in the city centre, you can look up and see green hills. Yes. Uh, and it just reminds you that actually, for most of its life, Bath has been a very small settlement. Um, its Roman archaeology is uh, extraordinary. 
for the uh, for certainly for the British Isles, uh, the Baths and Temple complex and other major public buildings we don't fully understand that were built around the hot springs. Uh, the 18th century uh, planned urban landscape is uh, another strand of outstanding universal value because in many ways um, the, this idea of Rus in Urbe, this, the, the uh, countryside in the town, developed in Bath with set pieces like Queen Square, the circus and so on, which have areas of um, green in them but are overlooked by the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, start, this pattern, using Palladian architecture, uh, which is another strand of outstanding universal value, um, combined, actually set the tone for other cities like Dublin and Edinburgh and London. So, so the idea of the countryside in the town, that was to some extent sort of pioneered or led in Bath, or was it something that was done in Italy and, and, and replicated in Bath? It, it was done elsewhere in Europe, but uh, Bath was one of the first places where it was really developed uh, in a very complete way. And, and I think the final strand about standing universal value again relates to the 18th century. And it's the aspirations of the 18th century um, that are represented by the architecture and the planned urban landscape. So there's kind of three strands in, that are all wrapped up in the Georgian town there. Is there something in the UNESCO listing about famous and influential people who were drawn to the waters of the bath? Uh, yes, there is, um, and uh, I think that's one of the things that really made the spa great in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it has always attracted people here, and you know we, we tend to think of tourism as a modern phenomenon. Uh, you know, tourism is, is nothing new in a sense. People have always come to Bath, and you know, in in the Roman baths in the museum there, we have inscriptions that show uh, record people who came from all over the Roman Empire. Uh, they threw coins into the hot spring. We've oh, got, good! So you got them. Uh, we have. We uh, we have nearly fourteen thousand wow. um, excavated from actually quite a small excavation in nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty. Uh, but when you look at those coins and where they were minted, they were minted in mints around mm. the Roman Empire. Right. They must have come here in somebody's pockets. Yes. Uh, and some of them are mints uh, in the eastern part of the empire, the Greek-speaking part of the empire, whose coinage was actually not legal tender here. Mm. So, you know, if, if, you know, I think when we all travel, we go somewhere, yes. uh, and you see an opportunity to throw coins into water, which is what we all love doing, mm. and you put your hand in your pocket, <laughs> you, you've got something you can't spend in that country, so I want to get rid of that. Yes. Um, so, uh, so people have always come here, not always in, with the same volume, but I think one of the things that uh, Roman Bath has in common with 18th century Bath is that the visiting population would have been larger than the resident population. Okay, and that's still true today? I think it's absolutely true today, yes. Bath is a city of about 90,000 people. Um, but pre-COVID, we were having probably five to six million people coming here a year. Wow, so it really is tourism, the lifeblood of this place. It is, uh, and again, it's not a new phenomenon. I think there is, um, there are concerns around the number of people who come, and that can be alienating for people who live here. Um, you know, sometimes there is a feeling that um, local people would rather that tourists um, sent their money here rather than brought it. <laughs> uh, We'd all like that, wouldn't we? Yeah, to sit here and just collect money, you know, rather nice. Yeah, and I, I think as a council we do have a responsibility to try to get a balance right. I mean, the tourism brings a huge amount into the city. You know, my, pre-COVID, my department, we were returning almost £10 million, clear profit a year to the council. 
That's after we paid all our costs. And then that, but that was able to support services to local people, particularly the elderly and the vulnerable. Um, so it's a way of uh, using money that people have brought in to benefit um, local residents. It must be a difficult balance, because, I mean, if, say, say Pauline wants to take a bunch of the Bemska elders to the cross bath, mm. and she rings them up, she's now going to hear, oh, the whole thing's been rented out all week to this five-star hotel, which looks like a mausoleum, I can't remember its name. The Gainsborough. Gainsborough. And, you know, if you want it at the weekend, it's now 400 quid, sort of thing. I've heard rumours that UNESCO is not so happy with us. Not to my knowledge, quite the contrary. Right. They've just given us a second World Heritage designation right. as one of the great spa towns of Europe. And that okay, because I... Liverpool went down a notch, notch and we went up a notch. Liverpool okay. were shown the red card. They were. Yeah, right. Because I thought there was some development or something that was causing... Um, it came up with the wreck, didn't it? it came yes. People were saying... Should we do the rugby or will we lose our world heritage status if we do the rugby? And that's, it's kind of a card that people play, isn't it? It, it, it is. Um, and uh, it, it can be quite frustrating. But when you look at Liverpool, actually, it was the Everton football stadium in the docks that saw them out. Yeah. So, you know, there's a bit of a parallel there in mm. Bath with the yeah. rugby stadium. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bath rugby is very much part of the city. Yes. Um, and there are... Um, legal requirements around the recreation ground that I don't fully understand um, but uh, there are people who will scaremonger about that and yeah. yes it could be an issue but I think there'd be a lot of water to go under the bridge before we got the red card. Mm. And would it be a disaster to lose our world heritage status? I think it would certainly be very regrettable yes um, I mean not just in, in marketing terms but because uh, I think with World Heritage goes that requirement that it must be, um, its protection must be the concern of all. And if we lose that requirement on us, then, you know, w where will it stop? If we lose our World Heritage status, um, well, what, what development might then take place? Mm. And uh, I think it is a huge accolade for uh, the city. And it's the, the, the sort of representation of 2,000 years of things happening here yes. um, around the hot springs and it's our responsibility I think to look after it uh, and to make sure it's in a fit state if not better for the next generation. Yeah. But just talk us through your, your sort of path to that top job something and what brought you to Bath in, in, originally and what attracted you to kind of heritage? So? Well, that's a really good question how long have we got? I think it probably started um, when I was 12 years old and my school took me on uh, a trip to Hadrian's Wall mm. um, and uh, we stayed at Corbridge and we put our sleeping bags down in on the sort of straw in a barn behind the Divals Hotel in Corbridge. It'd never be allowed now for school trips uh, and uh, every day we walked or took a public service bus to see different parts of the wall and uh, I was you know really taken with this it made a big impression on me um, just the the, the competence, the monumentality. Um, the, here were people who, you know, were from another place, but who brought such engineering skill um, on such an ambitious scale. It didn't really set my path. In fact, my father was very worried about what I was going to do. Like any father. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it, it, when I was 16, he sent me to the Vocational Guidance Centre in Harley Street. I don't know if it's still there. And they examined my marbles and sent back this report. Lighthouse keeper. <laughs> what, are you very misanthropic well, or something? Well, they weren't totally off. That must be a joke, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we listening to now? You're asking me? 
I was just looking for Steve. Steve, remind us, what was your first choice? My first choice of music is um, I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. Controversial. Controversial, actually. Why? Why is that? Well, I've subsequently learned he was not a very nice person. Well, exactly. Exactly. Do we want to stick with that or do we want to revise the choice? No, we can play it, but it is is very controversial. Remind me of the controversy. He is uh, under uh, charges for massive, massive paedophilia. And uh, yes, he got away with it for, you know, decades because he... Amazing so it's as bad as playing a Gary Glitter track or something. Yes. Well, yeah, but, you know, he has a whole team of people who say, you know, the woke, the anti-woke, should we just penalise everyone for everything that they've ever done? Mm. Or should we be able to put people in context? And so is this so, subject to court decisions? Yes, of? I think he's under arrest. So should we say like, innocent until proven guilty? Can I just come in there? Because yeah. that's a, an expression I actually wrote to the Times because yeah. some uh, lord of the realm mm. was, was quoted as um, saying that people um, are innocent uh, uh, until proven guilty. It must be innocent unless proven guilty. If you say until, it means they are guilty. It yes. just hasn't been proven. Mm. You're right. So it, it must be you are innocent yeah. unless... I think that's right. Proven mm. guilty. Or, mm. uh, yes. Okay, anyway, in that case, on that basis, R. Kelly, here we go. I used to think that I could not go on And life was nothing but an awful song But now I know the meaning of true love I'm leaning on the everlasting If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. I believe I can soar. I see me running through that open door. Why did you choose that? Well, um, I, I chose it in all innocence, but partly because in my teens I was very keen, uh, and this was before it had been written, because I, I am that old, uh, I was very keen on flying, mm. and uh, there was a time when I thought about going into the Royal Air Force, um, but it, I, I didn't fancy that sort of institutionalised way of life. Um, and uh, But I did my gliding solos when I was 16, mm. and just that sense of freedom and again being able to see landscapes all around without an engine With, without a, it's actually quite noisy this was an open cockpit but it gives you the confidence but, that a heavier than air object can stay up in yes, the, yeah absolutely but the other thing is that some, some every year i've been going to oxford to 
um, do a lecture as part of a guest program for a visiting American university. In one year, they did an end of summer um, musical, and they wrote a musical about the visit they'd made to Bath. Mm. And they, they featured me in it. Um, and I was asked to go back up to Oxford and sing a part. It's the only singing public performance I've ever given. And they, it was to... But the I, first of two, because I'm going to ask you now to sing that little piece. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, but they, they rewrote the words. Um, but, okay. But, but to, I believe I can fly. And I, I, so it, it was a piece of music I'd heard, but I didn't really know very well. So I got a CD and wherever I drove I just played it to myself so I understood I mean uh, and so I got even those sort of high twiddly bits at the end you know okay. I was quite proud of well just give us a little snatch then <laughs> no 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 it's no wintage, I, no? I haven't no. listened to it for a while either so I'm looking forward to hearing it again right. very very good Tozin okay well thank you for that um well, so we were discussing the um the different the two worlds that exist yeah. in Bath uh a lot of the poorer sections of, um, or less affluent sections of, of Bath, and it is like two different worlds. How are you engaging it? Because a lot of them don't, they don't think that the heritage, the, the wealth, they don't, they don't feel that it has anything to do with them. Yeah. How are you trying to get the people who actually live here, a substantial proportion of people who live here, how are you, what are you doing to try and get them invested in Bath, in, in its presence and in its future? It's a really good question and it, I think that's a long-term issue. Uh, many years ago we introduced the discovery card system which anyone who lives in Bath can have free of charge um, and uh, we've, we're just reviewing that at the moment just to see whether we are actually getting it through to all the communities we think deserve to, to have it and whether there are better ways of getting it to them because you can't force people to buy into things but if they don't know about them in the first place then, then you've not achieved anything. Um, we, we, we have a learning and participation um, manager who with various other members of staff does run programmes throughout the year out in the community so in uh, village halls, community halls um, out in the country, you know, throughout Bath and North East Somerset, where we can actually take what we do out to communities. You, you can't just sit within your grand walls and expect everyone to come to you. Yeah. Um, you have to take something out to people as well, as a means of perhaps attracting them to come in. We did a really interesting project at the record office in the archives in the Guildhall, I suppose about 10 years ago. It was uh, funded by the lottery as part of their Our Heritage, Your Story programme. And it, we, we looked at the lives of black people in Bath. And the, 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 the project was called Hidden Difference. Uh, and it was put together by a bunch of uh, black students uh, who live in Bath and showing how, how the city looks to them. Mm. And what they really cleverly did was they, it's on, it's on the record office website, do encourage you to look at it. Um, they showed photographs of different parts of Bath, but in the windows, um, they sort of planted photographs of black people looking out. Yeah. Um, uh, this was the sort of the hidden part, the hidden aspect of Bath. And you know, Bath has always had that air of pretension about it. If you, even the architecture, uh, places like um, some of the great streets, Pulteney Street, the Circus, the Royal Crescent, it's all built around a facade. Uh, and that facade looks towards the street yes. and the people who frequented them were there in their grand clothes, almost like the actors on a stage. Yes. And so it was designed to look like a theatre. 
And like any theatre, the scenery is brilliant. You never see what's holding it up at the back. Exactly. You know, there's chewing gum and bits of string and scaffolding mm. and so on. 18th century Bath is like that. Mm. You go behind the Royal Crescent, look at the back of Pulteney Bridge. It's completely different. So there, in the, in the architect, you have this metaphor for the two sides of Bath and the fact that there always have been these two sides. Uh, and um, it, it's an ongoing problem. Uh, it really is. So it's, it's not one we've cracked yet. Right. Well, I think it's very good and it's honest and I think it's, it's, it's helpful to recognise that you have a journey, you're, you're on a journey. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 the fear or the problem is when one becomes complacent and you think, well, it's either their fault or no, we're doing a brilliant job. Yeah. Um, my other question is, you mentioned the coins. Is there an exhibition of the coins themselves? And number two, is it something that Bath would ever kind of, I know it's really unlikely, but should the city become um, broke? <laughs> is it a like, massive value that can save the city? The majority of the coins are worth very little. Mm -hmm. We do have a display of them yes. uh, in a, uh, a showcase very close to where you can see where they were thrown in, very right. close to the, the, the sacred spring, the King's Bath. So they are on view there. Some of them are, are incredibly rare and valuable. We have two gold coins of the, um, the British user Electus from the end of the third uh, century, of which there were only, I think, less than 10 anywhere else in the Roman Empire. And we found two in the wow. White Spring. Wow. Which says maybe something about people who were coming here. Um, so yes, they're valuable, but the council has adopted um, collections management policies which are in line with national best practice um, and uh, which preclude anything being sold for monetary gain. And actually, you know, if we did, there'd be huge reputational loss. Um, we would lose access to every source of grant aid and we benefit quite well from lottery and other grant giving bodies. We would just lose that and our name would be mud. And one of the things that part of that sort of philosophy of taking a balanced view across all we do is care of the assets, care of the collections and buildings and monuments. So there's absolutely no way uh, I think the council would sell them. They belong here. So we need tourists to come back, but the, the sort of hiatus of uh, COVID has been an opportunity just to rethink mm. how they come here and where they come from. And there's a slight contradiction there because I think the council would want us to uh, get back to a place where we are making the best part of £10 million profit every year. But, you know, do we want them to come by car? Do we want them to come by coach? Do mm. we want them to fly to Britain? Mm. You know, there's only so many people that can walk down the Cotswold Way. Or, or along the Kent and Navin Canal, mm. and they're not going to bring us £10 million a year mm. profit. So, you know, there, there are tensions there, but I think it's right that we're looking at them. I think we need a more sustainable tourism. We need people to stay here longer. Um, yes, we need to extract more value from them, but if they're having a good time and they go away and recommend coming here, then, then, then why not? Um, but our uh, we've traditionally been a destination for day visitors, for lots of coach groups. You know, up until COVID, 30% uh, of our visitors at the Roman Baths came on coaches. Mm. Okay. A lot of them were with Euro 6 uh, compliant diesel engines, which were very low emission, um, but they did add to congestion. And you know, how sustainable is that? Okay, segue to um, your next choice. My next choice is um, Casta Diva, sung by uh, the wonderful Maria Callas, mm. 
who uh, is the only person who I've heard sung it better than my mother did. Ah. Wow. Let's sit back and enjoy okay. that. Um, my mother sang it in Birmingham Town Hall. Uh, there was all silverware on the piano when I was growing up. She won competitions. She had a remarkable voice. But even she said Callis's voice was better.
there is a preconception, I think, in the public that institutions such as yours or bodies such as yours suffered enormously during COVID. But is that really true? Um, we obviously we lost a huge number of visitors yes. and the revenue they, they brought. We did get government help. The government set up a scheme um, for um, reinstating lost revenue from fees and charges for local authorities. So um, we didn't come out as badly as, as we could have done. Uh, but um, obviously our staff, most of them were furloughed. A lot actually before being furloughed did go and work at the, um, the PPE hub mm. and the community hub and so on. Oh yes. And they yes. were at the vaccination centres as well yeah. because they, they have skills in greeting people, welcoming people, putting them at their ease and so they were delighted actually to get involved doing that. Um, but uh, there's, there's no doubt that um, we are going to come out of COVID in a very different state to that we went into it. And the, the, the thing is not to gripe about that, but to say, well, where are the advantages here? How can we turn this to, um, to advantage and uh, make our offer even better than it has been? We take apprentices, mm -hmm. which um, is, uh, is not generally known in local authorities, but um, I've been a great fan of apprentices because they, for one reason or another, the education system may not have done it for them. Um, but they deserve a chance in life and so we set up a scheme with local colleges uh, for heritage apprentices and we get a bunch of 16 year olds um, and they, they would do a variety of roles, some of them front of house, some of them working with collections, back of house, some on maintenance duties and quite a lot of them, when jobs come up with us, apply for them and they get them and they get them on merit. Mm -hmm. um, which, which is fantastic and I'll just give the example of one, um, a, a girl called Jessica who came to work for us some years ago and again the education system hadn't quite done it for her um, but she really thrived, she applied for a seasonal job with us and got it on merit, then applied for a permanent job with us and got it on merit, she's now front of house manager at a castle on the Isle of Wight. And she started as an apprentice. That's and, you know, we, we cannot just look to the traditional education system as a recruiting ground because there are people with talents and aptitudes out there that may not be academic, but they're actually probably more important. So, Stephen, if I can go back to, to our World Heritage listing, which is on six different grounds, it's, it's quite a specific and technical yes. thing, isn't it? And so if one of them is the famous and influential people who are attracted to the waters of the bath, who, who would you sort of list off as the most famous and influential people who have been attracted to us? Oh, gosh. I mean, that, that's not actually in the, in the citation, but um, it's, it's, it's understood that that's what has created the World Heritage Site. Um, I, well, I think there are many. And, you know, the, the streets of Bath are littered with uh, plaques, um, but they're rather selective. There are very few women there, very few people in the sciences there. It's, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm very wary of the plaque scheme, um, which was put up in the 1920s. You know, we have a blue plaque here. Uh, I know you have a blue plaque. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think for people who've come to Bath, yes, there have been politicians and writers and um, royalty, obviously, uh, musicians and so on. Um, but I think where we're, where we're sitting today, His Imperial Majesty um, Haile Selassie was uh, undoubtedly one of the most striking people and perhaps the most unusual people to have come here. Um, I mean, striking and unusual paints him as sort of exotic. 
Would you not agree that he's flat out the most globally influential person ever to have lived in the city? I can't argue with that because I'm, I'm not familiar with anyone else. I mean, the word exotic simply means foreign. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think in terms of the reach of his legacy, and I think like all great people, um, it's not instantly obvious. It becomes more apparent as time goes by, and you start to see um, how, how their lives unfold. Because obviously yeah. he was here for what five or six years, yeah. and he eventually sort of became far more orientated towards the United States. Um, but in, in terms of at the time he came here, standing up at the League of Nations um, at a time when no one else really was standing up against Mussolini and Hitler, and here we had a, 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 a genuine a, a gentleman, a diminutive gentleman from a country far away, who was prepared to stand up at the League of Nations and say this behaviour should not be allowed. Do you think it's significant also? I mean, Churchill said an odd thing about. El Alamein, which was that before El Alamein we had no victories and after we had no defeats, but actually the liberation of Ethiopia was a year before that. Mm. And I think it's, it's absolutely right to position Haile Selassie as, as, as a sort of fulcrum or turning point in the fight against fascism. It was the, it was the first country to be invaded mm. and he called it out internationally and it was the first country to be liberated. And I just wonder if there's a tendency to, to underplay, to downplay the significance of that. I think it's, it is part of the hidden legacy, and the story has been written, I'm not sure it's fully appreciated. I mean, hit, um, uh, Churchill was great on sort of glib statements, um, because he was trying to maintain the morale of the country and so on. But I think when you look at some of them, um, then th they are a bit simplistic, and that's certainly about Alamein is one of them. And if you think of Bath and its, and its sort of global cultural identity, do you think it would be fair to say that Bath enjoys two significant global cultural icons. One, a woman, an author, a feminist, and the other, an African emperor. Um, I, think, I think that's right. Um, I think different people have different perspectives, so I think once, once you start a canvassing opinion, other people are going to uh, offer different figures. You know, somebody else who got the, the freedom of the city is Yehudi Menuhin, who was a global figure in the world of music. Um, and so, you know, part of the musical fraternity in Bath would say, well, you know, Yehudi Menuhin is up there with them as well. Do, would you think of Bath as a, as a city that has, has hosted two gods? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not qualified to comment on that. Um, I mean people acknowledged as gods by others, not gods that we necessarily have to accept ourselves, but I mean Sulis certainly has a, a position of that sort, mm. and Haile Selassie is seen as a god, seen as a Messiah and deity by tens of millions of people. Absolutely, and again, uh, as I said, I think the full um, significance of his presence in Bath and actually his life as a global figure uh, is probably not yet fully understood and realised and, and that may well come after everyone who knew him in his lifetime uh, has, has died. It does sometimes take time for the, the full significance of somebody's life to, you know, to, to be fully understood and appreciated and a decent perspective gained on it. Okay. Why say um, with all that you have discussed in the last couple of minutes, has the house not been treated better? Why is it, has it not been incorporated into the sort of Bath heritage? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it's uh, obviously zoned by the council. There are, it's a listed building, it's grade two, I think, grade two listed. Um, it's very much out of the city. Um, there are, I think, 5,900 listed buildings in Bath. 
Um, and yes, what, um, what's it called? Beckford Tower yeah. is outside. Yeah. In some ways, Lansdowne, you're almost getting out of the city. Yeah. Um, almost the same sort of equidistant, I would say. And yet, the treatment of Beckford House, mm -hmm. the inclusion on the route, the maintenance, you cannot even begin to compare. Absolutely. And I think part of the reason for that uh, is that um, Lansdowne Tower, as I to call it. No, Me that, too. I'm, that I'm was right the original yeah. name. Is that a campaign to change no. the name? <laughs> I could start here. With the preservation <laughs> we're, we're, we're up for that. Uh, well, the new chief executive of the Preservation Trust starting shortly and this is something I'm going to talk to him about. We shall, we shall interview him. Um, yeah. But it's a very visible building. You know, everybody can see it. We can probably almost see it from where we're sitting now, mm. just about. Uh, so it is visible. And uh, whereas this house is a suburban villa, mm. uh, it is part 1850 I think is part of that sort of Victorian um, desire for seclusion uh, away from the sort of brash in your face of the 18th century where your front door was straight out onto the street and you wanted everybody to see you, that you live there and I think that's probably why Haile Selassie chose, chose this place because it actually was out of the limelight it was a place he could retreat to um, but it is surrounded by trees um, you can't really see it from the road, so it doesn't have the visibility that Beckford's Tower has. Beckford's Tower was run by a trust, um, uh, uh, but then back in the 80s, early 90s, I think, they were assimilated into Bath Preservation Trust. Mm. And maybe there's a conversation to be had there with the Preservation Trust. We had a great interview with Amy Frost. She's mm. wonderful. Yes, <laughs> but I, I, mean, I, yeah. I do think that, you know, this is absolutely not official. I'm not part of any formal part of sort of Fairfield House, but as an interested um, person, a person who came to Bath first as a visitor and then has now become uh, a resident and been here for, you know, uh, half a dozen years. Uh, it does seem to me that, you know, in, in order for the house to maybe gain the right reputation, it needs to be at least closely affiliated with the Preservation yeah. Trust so that it can get the funding, it can get the visibility and also the respect which comes as being, you know, uh, so I, I, again, that's just my opinion. Can I speak to that? Of so, course. I, I have to declare an interest because I am on the board of directors of the Community Interest Company trying yeah. to take on Fairfield House under a community asset transfer. And I, I, I really admire the Bath Preservation Trust. I mean, yes. From a campaigning organisation, they've worked their socks off to look after those buildings they've got. Yes. The, the number one, uh, Royal Crescent, yes. the Herschel Museum, yes. and Beckford Trust. And I mean, they're astonishingly smart and hardworking people. And I feel, in a way, we should be inspired by how hard they work mm. to try and do the task here. But I must say, it, it is difficult to explain in sort of equity terms mm. when the imperial family or the Ethiopian government inquire you know, we've spent tens of millions on our Roman baths, which are unique and, and, and ancient. We've spent ten, tens of millions of pounds on Durham Park, mm. or on the Abbey, or on I mean, the Assembly Rooms. It's taking a lot of a lot of investment in finance now, and it's sort of unfortunate that a lot of these things that we have invested these sums in, it's like what you said about the facade and what's behind the facade. You know, behind the facade is colonialism and exploitation of enslaved African people. So we've got a city that was substantially built on. On, on, on that wealth, and then industrial, I suppose, wealth as well. And yet here we have a, a, a piece of 20th century black British history of staggering importance. I mean, um, I think there's a perception inside the council that 
His Majesty's exile here was a passive exile. We would absolutely refute mm. that suggestion because while he was here, he was hugely active and influential. He founded the Ethiopian World Federation, which is pivotal in terms of uh, Pan-Africanism. He, he was constantly trying to turn the tide in, 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 in the war, and his historic role in that is, is, is enormous. So it just looks extraordinarily unfortunate that we should be embarking on a program of sort of decolonization through these stately homes, and yet neglecting the gift of a head of state, of a, a hugely important historical figure, and one who's acknowledged as a god uh, by many devout followers. It's, it's kind of hard to explain to them, mm. I must say. No, I do, I do absolutely get that. And uh, I, I, I've not been party to the conversations within the council, so I don't know how it's reached the point mm. where it's now looking at a community asset transfer. Um, I mean, we, we haven't spent millions on the assembly rooms. Uh, they need millions spending on them. That That's the yet to come, is it? Yeah. Yes. Well, the, okay. the, the National Trust are taking the assembly rooms back. Yeah. Uh, so we'll lose them. And you've got to fix them before you hand them over. Um, well, yes. Uh, there'll be a dilapidations programme. Um, but we don't know how much that well, that's being surveyed at the moment. Mm. We've probably spent up to 10 million at the Roman Baths in the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, but compared to the 198 million that the British Museum spends, the two lots mm. of 200 million tape models spends, 60 million that St Paul's Cathedral spell spends, and we still outperform them. Um, in, in terms yeah. of revenue? Uh, in terms of cost effectiveness wow. and in terms of um, visitor sentiment. We're not perfect. Uh, at all, but well done. Um, I, I don't feel like a departmental criticism. I almost feel it's on the whole city. I mean, the, the gift was given because of the response of the people. We're a city of manners. Mm. It just seems to me if somebody gives you, if an important person gives you a valuable gift, it's good manners. To mm. So I'm not blaming you know a department or the council. Or I just think it's on all of us. Yeah, I'm surprised that our self perception, our identity, doesn't bring. His Imperial Majesty's legacy right to the fore. It'd be interesting to know what the response would have been if he'd lived in a house in the centre of Bath. <laughs> you know, if, let's say he'd lived in Sally Lund's house or a house in North Parade. Or King Edward's School. Or, or King Edward's School. <laughs> um, it'd be very yeah. interesting to see how, you know, what would have been done there. But we're within the boundary of the World Heritage City. We, we are. Just. We, we are. Yeah. But it's very much a case of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um, and I think people probably haven't known what to, to do with it. But I think there's another issue about becoming a, 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 a trust. I mean, one of the problems we had at the Roman Baths, we've just, we're just finishing a sort of £5 million development of a learning centre um, and a World Heritage Centre. Uh, but we've, we got £3.4 from the lottery, but all the big grant-giving bodies won't give money to a local authority. So we're, if, if we were CIC not-for-profit community interest company, that puts us in a sweet spot. So I, I do think it's the right strategic step. It's just, it's just executing it. It's it, it is. Yeah. I mean, we, we got a quarter of a million pounds from the Claude Duffield Foundation. Okay. We got 75,000 from the Garfield Western. Mm. And, but we got it because we set up the Roman Baths Foundation right. as a charitable trust. Right. The foundation applied in our name. It's all legal. Right. Um, so the, you have a the money was given to the foundation. Mm. So not some dodgy, you know, sort of no, like... It's not yeah. dodgy. <laughs> oh, it's just for courses. It's, 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 it's real, real world, the real world. And Bemsker is a charity. And, and, yes. and, and, and Bemsker's yeah. current strike rate on grant applications is probably 70 or 80%. Yeah, so so that, which is very good. That's a very yeah. good strike rate. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, very intense. Let's take a break. Oh, yeah. Third track.
please. Third track is um, a lovely piece um, by Frederick Delius, which is, um, I think it's called Evensong, um, or Eventide, and uh, it, it's, it conjures up for me um, wide open breezy landscapes. Mm. Uh, it's music I often get in my uh, head when I'm walking out uh, in the country uh, in, on breezy hilltops. And it's very English music um, and uh, I find it very, very restful.
So do you actually listen to music on your headphones as your kind of, or you just listen to the breeze? I I don't, I never use headphones. Um, I I walk, let's go, gosh, I walk in two zones. Um, There's my zone of disturbance. Mm. So that's all the footsteps I take, the cracking of twigs, any sneezing or whatever. And, And that reaches out and the wildlife hears it and picks it up. Yeah. I also walk in a zone of awareness, so I can hear or see or smell the wildlife. My aim is always to have my zone of awareness bigger than my zone of disturbance, Yes. because that way I'm aware of the the natural world around me before it's aware of me. Mm -hmm. And you'd be astonished at the the amount of wildlife I see, birds and animals, uh, because of those two zones. So I, I don't fill my ears with the, the clutter of, of, of the modern world. I, I prefer to blend into the landscape. It's beautiful. So Stephen, I, it feels to me like, like we have a choice with Fairfield, because I think Fairfield House and His Majesty's Legacy is recognised and understood by, by, by thoughtful people who, who are looking into it. And I think this perception that, I don't know, complacent affluent Bath only looks after Roman Georgian things and doesn't care about black history. I think that sort of can be overturned, but I don't know. Do you think Fairfield House and the vibrant life of the house should try to be embraced as part of Bath's heritage identity? Or do you think, actually, we're always going to be outsiders and we should just play that role? We should say, you know, no no one loves us, no one cares for us, we're here, we're great, we're different, and we're going to do things differently. I think that's a choice. If you're on our board of directors, we're having that conversation, should we go into or should we try and be embraced by mainstream life? I think you need to do both. Uh, and it sounds a bit of a cop-out answer, but um, I think it's important to be part of life in Bath, um, to be visible. Probably one of the first things I would do is find somebody to coppice all the trees on the main road here so that people can actually see the house. Because mm. I get a lot of people going along there and think, I never knew that was there. I wonder what that is. And that's the, you know, you can then tap into that curiosity. But for as long as you're shrouded by woodland, uh, it's actually very hard to see. And perception is big, as we, as we discussed with Beckford. Um, but I think it is also important to be, be independent, to be different. Uh, I think there's a, probably quite a troubling question, uh, to which I don't know the answer. But if the famous residents who had been here had, say, been um, a Scandinavian mm. king in exile, mm. would our view of it be different? Yeah. yeah. And I just, I, I'm uncomfortable with that question because I have a feeling it probably would. I think we can turn that to a strength because, because uh, the council, the Equality Public Council, the National Trust, the universities, everyone knows that they want to be on the right side of the diversity agenda. Mm-hmm. And they, they have to do that yeah, but genuinely, don't you think not in a tokenistic also way. a fear of then just being, um, uh, what's the word, a fad, if that's what it is. It's got If people are approaching it, not from its um, intrinsic value, but because it speaks to the moment, then once the moment is done, there is that fear that it will be like, oh, we've done that, let's move on. 
I think you have to do things and try and make them stick. Yeah. But, but shying away from doing things for fear that it might be seen as a fad is probably not the answer. Mm. And you know, I, before coming here, I did reread Lutz Haber's article in Bath History um, about Haile Selassie's time in Bath. And what struck me about that was the warmth of welcome he yes. had here. Yes, it's, no, I know it's, it's, times were hard then, but yes. you know, even so, yes, he yes. had a really warm welcome. Yes, here. apparently he was very loved by the residents. And you know, when you go into the Roman baths from Abbey Churchyard, the largest photograph we have on the site is right there on the wall yeah. with Heidi Selassie in, in the bath, surrounded by you know, curious and probably quite welcoming people. We love that, we love that, we'd love a copy of it. I think it does have an enduring role. I think Stephen's right. I think we can try and make the change and make it stick. And I think the reason is that Haile Selassie himself spoke so powerfully on exactly this agenda. And I think, I think it could stick. I think we have to hope we can get to the place where people are treated as people. And it's, it's a long journey from where we are today. And I think this is the best place to start that journey in our community. And again, if, if um, Haile Selassie had lived in a, in a, in a house in the centre of town... As a Norsk god. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then you know, the mayor's honorary guides who do walking tours of city, the city every day of the year except Christmas Day, uh, twice a day, they take 50,000 plus people a year on free walking tours. They would undoubtedly be stopping outside his house and saying, do you realise who lived here and this is why he was here and this is what, you know, and, and the message would get yeah. out. You've got the little theatre, I mean, it was there for his yeah. newsreels and that's, yeah. that's kind of helpful and you can sit, sit by his plaque. Well, Stephen, I, I, I really, I, I just look forward to how this journey unfolds. I think Fairfield House and the life of the house have still got a journey to do with Bath's heritage community writ large. And I really hope that you might be sort of part of just guiding that journey and seeing how, how, how it goes. Okay. Uh, so, on that kind of note, um, I just want to ask you, you're re retiring? Cheyenne. What, what are you going to do next? I'm going to do nothing for a bit. Oh, good. Um, good. Yeah. Uh, ever, ever since word got out that I was retiring, I've been stopped by people in the street saying, oh, now you'll have time to do this, that, the other. <laughs> um, and, uh, in, you can do interviews. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing this before I retired. Uh, so, um, I, I don't know. I will do a lot more walking, that's for sure. Um, I shall um, probably do more with my church. Which is um, your church? St. Swithin's in Walcott. Oh, right, yes, I used nice. to go there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought I recognised you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a trustee of a couple of trusts and um, I, I will carry on doing that sort of work. Um, I have grandchildren and my wife is incredible as, as a sort of granny um, and I couldn't possibly match up to the way she looks after children. But uh, um, I probably will end up spending more time with my family, as they say. Um, but at the moment, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to fill my time straight away with yeah. uh, lots of things, and then find there are things I was wishing I could do, but I can't. Yeah. Well, I think it's very sensible. Also, there's a tendency isn't there, to, to you know, people think you'll carry on with the same things, and actually it's such a great opportunity to do quite different things. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Well, I, I, I plan to find some different things. One of the things that actually does appeal to me is um, being a Cotswold Voluntary Warden. Lovely, we love those. Um, yep. Because I, I've derived such pleasure and sort of well-being benefit from walking the footpaths, you know, everything within a 30-mile mm. radius of Bath. Mm. It'd just be a chance to put something back. Listen, Stephen, it's been really wonderful to meet you properly and have a really good chat. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Stephen. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Very, very best wishes for your retirement and Thank all you. plans for the future. May we stay in touch? Yes, absolutely. Very good. Okay, so we've been talking to Stephen Bird, MBE, Head of Heritage Services at Bath and North East Somerset Council. We're in our city. We are in our city, in Fairfield House. In Fairfield for House. For real. Yeah. Streaming from the Palace of His Imperial Majesty. Goodbye. Take care of yourselves. I'm William Heath. I'm Tussi. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice.